Well, good morning, guys. Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, before we hop into uh, this, I just want to recognize that it is Memorial Day. Um, I was reading this week, actually, I think John 15. Uh, some of you guys, uh, sword drill, if you guys remember, grew up in church. Uh, it might not be John 15, but I think it is. Uh, in the teens, John 15, 13, that's my guess. We'll see. Uh, something, uh, Jesus says that uh, greater love is, greater love, to, well, okay, keep the guess. Nope. There's no man, there's something tricky, no man that's, that someone would lay down his life for a friend. So we're, we're <laughs> this is a group sermon. Uh, what do you want, point number one to be? Uh, no, I just want to say that in the middle of um, cookouts and all that kind of stuff, just want to remember what this weekend is. Uh, we, we, yes, you have a day off, uh, some of us, uh, tomorrow, uh, but it's because uh, those loved ones uh, gave down, uh, gave their lives for us. And so um, I just want to take a moment of prayer before we hop into this stuff, because uh, realize if that's you, uh, if you know someone, someone in your family has served and gave their lives uh, in the line of duty, that this is a, a, a special weekend, a unique weekend for you. And we just want to honor you and thank you uh, and your family. So can we just pray before we hop into this? Uh, God, we just, um, God, I know it seems almost trite uh, to say, uh, but man, freedom is never free. Man, we're here today because we remember one more time that you laid down your life. And so, God, as we celebrate this weekend, our freedoms we have uh, living in this great country, not a perfect country, but there's no other place I'd rather live. Uh, God, we just thank you for every person that has uh, given the ultimate sacrifice for us. And God, we pray that you would be with their families, with their loved ones, bringing them peace. Um, God, I pray that they have great times sharing stories and memories and uh, we, we honor them, we celebrate them, we thank them. Be with them uh, today. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, well, I want to give you guys a heads up on something before we hop into the teaching here uh, in regards to North OC with Anaheim. I want to let you know that uh, we to tell you kind of the end of it, and then I'll walk you kind of through a little bit of our processes. Uh, we've decided actually to take a step back uh, from Anaheim and hand the church back over to our network, our denomination. Um, and I think the, one of the main reasons is, well, the main reason is one of my old pastors told me a long time ago that leadership is permission-based. Actually, leadership, at the end of the day, uh, is, is influence, right? If you guys have sort of like John Maxwell, his leadership principles, he'll, he'll tell you leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And so those of us that you're like, well, no, I'm, I've been led by a positional leader and they, what they say goes, yeah, they got compliance, but they didn't lead you, did they? right? Leadership is always permission-based. You have to trust someone enough to say, I'll let you guide my heart uh, in this, or else the best you can get is compliance. And so Mal Pash used to tell me that you can't teach someone who doesn't want to be taught. You can't lead someone who doesn't want to be led. And uh, there, there, it became clear over the last uh, several months that our vision as Voice Church, what we believe the, the Bible says the church is called to be, and what some uh, of the individuals up in Anaheim feel that the church is called to be, we're fundamentally in different places. And that gap between the two visions, actually, we, we, you know, we obviously expected there to be a gap at the beginning, but it didn't shrink over time. It actually escalated uh, on their side in, I would say, unbiblical ways. And we felt like the most gracious thing to do uh, were, would be to step back. You know, Jesus said, uh, we told his disciples, and we sent them off two by two, by two uh, not to the ark, but to go preach. I uh, sent them off two by two, and he said, man, if they don't receive your teaching, he didn't say, like, take them to court, right? He, he didn't say, like, start a campaign. What did he say? Leave. 
right? Leave. Just shake the dust off your feet and leave town because they're not in a place where they're ready to receive it. And then we see Paul do this also. I think Paul and Silas in the book of Acts, same thing happened when they went to a town. Uh, they weren't received, and so they just moved on. You don't need to boycott anybody. Just, hey, look, this isn't the right time. We don't want this to be a messy divorce. We'll just move on and bless you, you know? So, uh, so all to say, we're taking a step back, uh, and uh, I just want to thank you for the prayers, for the texts. It was so fun even to get, word travels real fast, apparently. So uh, I got emails and texts from like voice people who have moved like out of the state, out of the country uh, that were like, you doing okay? You need anything? I was like, I'm great. I could use a nap, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing uh, great. So all to say thank you. We feel totally loved, uh, and I'm also really excited about getting to focus completely on Tustin again. Uh, it was actually fun. When we, we emailed the staff a week and a half ago or so, uh, a few of the staff emailed back, all the normal stuff you expect them to stay up top, you know, trust you, love the trip, blah, blah. And then was like, not saying blah, 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 you know. And then, uh, and then uh, hey, Selfish, we were really excited to have you back at Dustin. <laughs> it's like, I'm really excited to be back too. So anyways, uh, yeah, not gonna lie, but during the, during the, during the past uh, few months, uh, I've had my questions for God. How about you? I've had my questions where I'm like, God, where are you? Like, you promised, I feel like I had vision and dreams for what, what's going on up there, and what are you up to, God? Why is this happening, God? And I'll t I'm here to tell you I don't have the answers yet, and I don't know if God will give me the answers. But I feel like in the confusion, there's some things you can only learn when you're disturbed, right? There's some things you can only learn when you're going through pain. There's some things you can only learn when you're confused that you'll never learn when things are comfortable, when things are great. My guess is when you go back through your life, the greatest seasons of spiritual growth for you were probably seasons of incredible pain, seasons of confusion, right? I've never heard an Olympic athlete say, you know how I got here? I sat on my couch, ate whatever was comfortable in the moment. I just sought comfort and entertainment, and that's how I got here today. No. And you've never seen someone outside of that, in, in the business, in the marketplace, in their spiritual life. You've never seen someone get to a thriving, healthy place by seeking entertainment and comfort. Whether they sought it out, like they got to the gym early, or life sought them out and they had to go through a season that was created for them by other people, pain creates growth. And so, unfortunately, Jesus doesn't always say that he'll take the pain away. What Jesus says is, I'll be there with you in the middle of it. Right? And so, because of that, I think there's some folks in the room that are going through a confusing time too. And if you are not going through a time where you're going, God, what are you doing? My guess is you will, right? Because life seems to happen to, to all of us. And so if you're going through a season, man, I pray that this would really be something that God would speak to you. And if you are going through a season, you're going, hey, things are going great. Just kind of file this away bookmark it, and one day you're going to need it, okay? And so everyone that is here, everyone watching online because you're in Memorial Day celebrating somewhere or you're listening to the podcast while you're driving somewhere, just file this away because I think in times of confusion, we have a unique alignment with what the, what the disciples were feeling on that Good Friday. So I want to go back to several weeks ago with Good Friday when they saw their leader executed, right? They had given months, years, some of them, of their lives to this revolutionary leader that was going to change everything, turn everything upside down. Man, he talked back to people in authority, and he had no problem. This is the guy. He would heal people, teach people. We gave up everything to follow him, and now he's being executed. And when that stone was rolled in front of the tomb, 
Not only was Jesus dead, their dreams were dead. There was a grieving of what could have been. And for some of us, the confusion is here because it's a grieving of what could have been. God, I thought things were supposed to go this way, and they didn't. I thought with whatever, my job, my family, my kids, my whatever, whatever situation, there's pain, there's confusion because I thought things were supposed to go a different way. But then here we are. Confusion. I'm sure the disciples were going, this is not how it was supposed to happen. God, where are you? God, how can any good come from this? Like if you were to sit with the disciples that night as they're scattered now because Jesus is in the grave, their movement is over. No one expected a resurrection, right? And if you were to sit with them that night as they're silent probably having dinner together, they're probably thinking, how could any good come of this? How could any good come of this? No one was going to sit there with the disciples and go, it's okay, it all works out in the end, right? You ever have confusing moments like that in your life where things are like, it's all going to, people are like, it's all going to work out, and you're like, how could any good come of this? Especially if you guys are catastrophizers, you know who you are, right? If someone's married to you, you know who you're married, right? And you just think, worst case scenario, how could any good come of this? But what they didn't realize, that in the middle of this dark moment would come the light of the world. Out of the, out of the middle of this mess would come the Messiah. They had no idea that without the mess of the crucifixion, there would be no hope in the resurrection. That without Good Friday needing to happen, there would be no Easter Sunday. But what they didn't realize is that the crucifixion had to happen. And if you've ever been like, like me, who, when, I, when I first became a believer, I was like, why did Jesus need to die on the cross? Like, if I forgive someone, no one needs to be executed, right? I just say, I forgive you, right? So I'm like, why can't the Father just say, I forgive you guys, all of you, I forgive you. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Sometimes we, we get caught up in this stuff where we never ask the, the hard questions of like, well, what? Jesus died for you. I, I remember when... When I, before I was a believer, I was very cynical. I still am cynical, but now I'm a cynical Christian. But I remember when people were like, do you understand that Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago? I was like, okay. If I was like, hey, 2,000 years ago, Bob died for you. He lived in Argentina, and he died for you. You should follow him. Be like, that's insane. I don't even know, why, why did Bob have to die for me? Who's Bob, Right? Same, I, f- I felt the same kind of thing. Why did Jesus have to die? And then someone taught me this. It was probably like 20 some years ago. Someone taught me this. And I'm like, oh, it all kind of makes sense. And so if you ever wonder why Jesus had to die on the cross, I want us to walk through a little bit of the history, so, what, the, what the covenant that led up to the cross. So we're going to read a bunch of scripture, if that's okay. I don't know if you, guys are in a, you realize you're in a church. So we're going to read some Bible, uh, and then hopefully it, you'll have this aha moment. And for some of you guys that already know this, you're way ahead of the game, you're like an AP Bible, then you guys are like a, big, a good refresher, okay? Uh, but for some of us Juco folks, this is, uh, this is we need this day, okay? So uh, Genesis chapter 15, we we'll start reading here. And I want you to think about, this is God giving Abram, who would later become Abraham, a promise, okay? And I want you to think, if you were Abraham, how would you respond to God giving you this promise? Okay, so here's what it says. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Okay, so obviously Abraham replied, sweet. He doesn't. He said, but Abraham replied. He's already arguing like off the bat. 
right? It's like when our, we, had, we had Disney passes for the kids, and we'd say we had to go once a month to make them worth it, right? To like pay, like, to make it work out numerically. And it got the, the reason why our kids don't have Disney passes, but Natalie and I still do, uh, <laughs> because it's because we got to the point where we're like, hey, after church, we're going to Disney. And they're like, but do we have to? Like, there was a day, I kid you not, where like, you can, we can either go to Disney or we can go to KFC. They picked KFC. <laughs> and look, no hate on the colonel, but it's not Disney. And that's when we decided we are not renewing their passes, right? So this is kind of moments like, hey, I'm going to protect you and your reward will be great, Abraham. And Abraham goes, but can we go to KFC? Like what? Like what's going on? So he says, but Abraham replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings? What? When I don't even have a son, since you give me no children, this is all on you, God. Eliezer of Damascus, a servant of my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Okay, just real appreciative, uh, just really grateful kid here. Uh, then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look into the sky and count the stars if you can, you limited little man. Uh, that's my little interpretation. Uh, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteousness as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Two times in this passage, all God does is say, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you all this stuff. Look at the stars. You can't even count them because you're a peon, but there's a lot of stars. Your descendants will be as numerous. That's, that's how much I'm going to bless you. And, God, and then Abram replies, but how will I know that what you're telling me is true? Like, I'd be like, you know what? Forget it, man. I'm going to go talk to, is your neighbor home? I'm going to bless him instead, right? He said, but twice. There's a way that Abraham talks to God. And it's the way that we'll see all throughout Scripture, people talk to God. I think from Western viewpoint, we're like, one, dude, quit arguing with God. But we see this, you see this all throughout Scripture, right? Noah, Abraham, David, you'll see in the New Testament people arguing with Jesus. But it's not because, but Jesus and others would reward it as faith. And it's just, I was actually texting back and forth with Ken this week, and he's, uh, he obviously, he, like, he speaks Hebrew, and, uh, and he's like, way more knowledgeable in this. And I was like, explain to me this idea of chutzpah. You can put chutzpah. And I was like, there's, explain this idea to me from your perspective. And it's like, almost like insolence, gall, extreme arrogance, like, like just persistent. It's the kid that won't drop it. You know what I mean? It's like, just drop it. No. And they're like, keep on bringing it up. And we see this idea over and over. This is Abraham right now. I actually Googled Abraham chutzpah, and there are thousands of sermons and articles from all these rabbis talking about the gall that Abraham had, this almost insolence of, dude, you're arguing with God, right? But all throughout scripture, it says that it was, it was accredited to him as faith, as righteousness. And we see this in New Testament too. There, there's a story in, in uh, Matthew 15 Oh, the Gentile woman. Uh, it says this. It says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Talking to Jesus. For my daughter is possessed by a demon. I've thought that sometimes. Uh, that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all of her begging. 
So you start to see all this persistence from this gal. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel, the Jews. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded. It's kind of a harsh response. We'll talk about it. Jesus responded, isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Interesting, right? I think Jesus is trying to shake her, try to, try to rattle her. And when you look at dogs, it's not the translation, the word there is not dog-like, less than human dog. Actually, the word is more kind than that. The word is like pet, like family pet. And what he's saying is it's not appropriate to give food that's meant for the children to the family pet. There's a time and a place, right? And so she replied, okay, cool, I tried. No, what does she do? That's true, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. And so Jesus replied, dear woman, what's your deal? Right? No. He said, dear woman, Jesus said, your faith is great. Now, if you're one of the disciples looking by, you're going, your, your annoyance is great. Right? Sweet, catch a drift, woman. Leave. Right? No. The persistence, her gall was accredited as righteousness, as faith. He said, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Next uh, passage, Matthew chapter 14. Uh, the situation is Jesus was with doing ministry with his disciples on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and he sent them ahead. And he said, essentially, I'll, I'll meet up with you. And so the storm hits, a, a storm hits the Sea of Galilee. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land, uh, there's like a valley on one side where a storm can roll in just like that and kind of be on the lake out of nowhere on the sea. And so he sends them out and, and then this happens. It's just meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. Uh, and so you can imagine like the waves were like up here and the boat was down here and then it's like this, right? So about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water, as you do. So uh, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, probably yelled at them over the storm. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. And then Peter goes, cool, cool, cool. We thought it was a ghost. No, what does he say? I don't believe you, essentially, right? I don't, if it's, I don't know if I think it's really you. If it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Like he's setting an agreement with Jesus during the storm while Jesus is walking on the water, right? He didn't have time to practice in the Jerusalem YMCA pool. You know what I mean? Like he, he's never done this before. He's like, hey, you're saying it's you, Jesus? Prove it. Prove it. Kind of insolent. The arrogance, the gall to tell Jesus to prove it. He's walking on water. Is that not proof enough for you? So G what did Jesus do? All right, Come. Jesus said, so Peter went over to the other side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. Interesting. We see that same kind of gall, that faith, that persistence in Abraham. I'm going to bless you, but how will, okay, as numerous as the stars in the sky, look, but how will I know? All this land will be yours. He has like a Simba moment, right? Everything the light touches will be yours, Simba, right? How will I know? Prove it. And what happens next is the Abrahamic covenant. What happens next is well-known in desert culture. What happens next is a covenant, a covenant. That's not a word that we use too often in Western culture because we talk about agreements and contracts 
And when we sign contracts, we think of what is the loophole, right? So you get a new phone from T-Mobile and you sign your contract. You're going, what? Can I get out of this? Can I, you know, you, we immediately try to get out of it because it's not a relationship. A covenant is a relationship. It's much more uh, intense and much more connected than just a contract. And the way these, these would work in that culture was there was a greater and a lesser party, the two parties involved, a greater and a lesser party. And the way it would work is the greater party would set, if you want to do more research on this guy named Ray Vanderland, uh, well, it, it talks about this a ton. So uh, scholar, theologian, for, uh, specifically in, in first century and kind of this, this era. So he talks about how there's a greater party and lesser party. The greater party uh, sets the terms for the agreement, right? If you do this, I'll do this. If I do this, you do this. Do we agree on that? The lesser party cannot change anything. The lesser party can't say, well, no, can we tweak uh, article number two and I'll, I'll give it to my attorneys and we'll hash it out. Greater party sets the agreement. The lesser party can either walk away or agree to it. That's it, right? So you'll see, you know, God do this all throughout scripture. If my people will, then I will. If you guys do this, then that's, this is what I'll do. I'll hold up my end of the argument if you guys, or my, my agreement, if you hold up your end of the, of the agreement, right? So what does God say he'll do? What is this covenant? It says, it says this in Genesis. It says, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I'll make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee you countless descendants. So he says, hey, my deal is what I told you. Numerous as the stars in the sky. Even though you're in Abraham is like, I'm old, my wife's old. He's like, I understand that. I understand how time works. Uh, but uh, I will give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Your deal is you have to be blameless. You just can't make any mistakes ever. Okay? Just follow me faithfully uh, and just be perfect. Okay? Abraham says, okay. What happens next was very confusing. This, this was like 20 years ago I went down this rabbit hole because I'm like, what the heck is going on? So they make that agreement and then God says, next verse, uh, verse nine, it says, the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a uh, cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham presented these to him and killed them. So what Abraham is doing right now is... A, he's doing what's called a blood covenant or a blood ceremony, which, again, why I was confused was going, if God said, hey, bring a cow, a goat, a sheep, a turtle dove, and a pigeon, I wouldn't know to do this. I'd be saying, hey, I got you the stuff you wanted, right? Abraham knows exactly what's going on because this was custom. So he gets the animals, and in the next verse it says, and this is where it gets a little uh, graphic, it says, uh, then he cut each animal down the middle, laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. Okay, so if you're anything like me, when I first read this, you're going, I'm sorry, what? We're not going to do this today. Okay, just you're wondering, we don't have a goat and a ram uh, backstage, or we're going to, you know, sermon illustration for you. This is, again, what's called a blood covenant. To this day, uh, there's Bedouin tribes that still practice this. So they'll say, uh, like, a lot of specifically in, in the case of weddings, uh, marriages, they'll say, I promise my daughter is a virgin. Uh, the father will promise to provide financially, whatever, right? And they will cut an animal in half, walk through the, the, the blood will pool, they'll create footsteps in the blood. And what they're saying is, if what I'm saying is not true, if I don't live up to my end of this agreement, may this be done to me. 
And so you can Google it. There's times where they'll find a father that had been executed uh, in the desert with like the throat slit and there's footprints in the blood because they did not fulfill their end of the agreement. Right? You're like, I didn't realize we're going to talk about this today at church. But this is what is like, it's important to understand the context of the covenant that was happening. And Abraham knew exactly what was happening. This is why when God said, bring these five animals, he knew exactly what to do. He, God didn't need to give him explanation. He knew exactly what was going on, right? So God promised great things. And if he doesn't come through, God has staked his life on it. Same with Abraham. And if you're Abraham, you're terrified right? Wouldn't you be? You're going to get the goat, the ram, the sheep, the turtle. I don't know how long it takes to catch a dove and a pigeon. Your whole time you're going, oh, crap, 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 crap. What am I doing right now? I can't be perfect. I haven't even been perfect in the last day. I'm going to be perfect forever. So he's getting all this stuff. And then what happens? We see this, we see it in the passage. The first thing is a smoking fire pot passes between the halves. Have you seen the last verse of that passage? Well, we know this, is, this represents this in a vision. This represents God, right? The greater party always walks through the halves first. Now it's Abraham's turn. What's supposed to happen now is Abraham walks through. So you got Abraham standing at the edge, watching the smoking fire pot go through, going, crap, if I walk through this, I mean, it's kind of all set in motion. If I walk through this, I'm going to be executed. They're going to find me in the desert because there's no way I can live up to this. But I got to try. I got to try. I got to have kids. I got to have someone to pass this inheritance on to. Like, I got to try. And he knew the moment he stepped between those halves, he's done. So what happens? It says that the next thing, after the smoking fire pot goes through, a torch goes through the halves, the Bible says. Well, what does fire represent in Scripture? I mean, think about the verses you've seen. What, is, what, is, what does fire represent? You can just yell it out. Cleansing, Cleansing yeah. <coughs> Holy Spirit, yeah. Our God is a consuming fire. Yeah. Nowhere in Scripture does fire ever, ever represent humanity. Ever. So in this vision, we don't see Abraham walk through. We see the torch walk through, which is symbolic of God going through a second time. This is really important because in that moment when the torch goes through the halves, what God is saying is, you're not perfect. Bro, I know you. I remember Adam and Eve. I remember countless humans between then and now. None of them have been perfect. I know you can't do this. But I commit that I will bless you. And I commit that when you mess up and your descendants mess up, I condemn myself. And when he did that, he sentenced Jesus to death. This is what happened. So for the rest of the Old Testament, they sacrificed. Do you know what they sacrificed? Five animals. Cow, heifer, goat, sheep, dove, pigeon. Cow, goat, sheep, dove, pigeon. Why? Because those are the animals from the original covenant. The sacrifices don't forgive sin. The sacrifices were this idea of chutzpah. It's this idea of incredible persistence, faith. This is whenever they would sacrifice, this is saying, God, you promised. 
You promised that you would forgive us. You promised that you would bless us. You promised that you would never leave us. You promised that you would lead us. Don't forget your promise. Don't forget your people. And so God said that there would be sacrifices made with two of them with very specific times. You know the times that this, the sacrifice is supposed to be made? Nine o'clock, three o'clock. Nine o'clock, three o'clock. So Elijah, you know the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel where he defeated the prophets of Baal and fire came down uh, from, from, the, from the sky and burned everything up, including all the water. You know that story? You know what time it happened? If you read your Bible, three o'clock. Three o'clock. So every day there'd be nine o'clock and three o'clock sacrifices at the temple. And by Jesus' day, it'd become like an elaborate ceremony. So what would happen is at three o'clock, everyone in town in Jerusalem would be quiet. Moment of silence. And someone on top of the temple area would blow a shofar, right? Some of you guys are Pentecostal, like I've seen those, right? See, they blow a shofar. You know what a shofar is? It's the horn of a desert goat, desert ram. Why? Symbolic of remembering their desert father, Abraham, of this original covenant. So they blow the shofar. Everyone remained silent, and they knew that a sacrifice was being made that went back to the Abrahamic covenant saying, God, remember your promises. Remember to forgive us. Remember to bless us. Remember one day, send a Messiah. So fast forward. It's a Friday. One of the difference on this Friday, it's, it's a holiday, Passover. Two million people roughly are in Jerusalem. It's packed to the gills. Five minutes before three. On a hill outside of town by an abandoned stone quarry were three men on crosses and the middle one looks like he's dead. Three o'clock, shofar blows. And Jesus yells out, into your hands, I commit my spirit. It is finished. And in that moment, Jesus paid the debt that was promised thousands of years earlier. And in that moment, Jesus tied the entire, what we call the Bible, together. And there's no words to describe the picture of God bleeding and his blood pooling in the dirt to honor the promise that he made to be with us, to have relationship with us. In that moment, there was a veil between um, where us people could go and where only the priests could go, where God's presence was. And that veil, the Bible says, was torn in two. And the reason why that's important is it means there's no more exclusive rights. I don't get more access to God's presence than you because I have a degree or I'm ordained. God is saying, hey, the presence of God is not only in that place, but that we are temples of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is in every single one of you, just like he's in me. That's super important. That's why when, when COVID hit and, you know, there are some churches that I think lost sight of things, saying we will never shut down because the church can't be stopped. And that's right, the church can't be stopped, but the building can be closed. Because the church is not a building. It's a people. And God is, I think there's something very special what God can do when we're together gathered here or gathered at small groups in your homes. But I think there's something special about God meeting you in your car, about God meeting you at your special chair at home or your, on, your, on the deck. There's something special about God meeting you at the gym or at your workplace or, you know, a special park that you go to. There's something special about God being there too, right? A lot, a lot of you guys have that special place, right? Maybe it's at the beach or a restaurant or, and it, God meets you there. This is what that's talked about. The veil was torn. So why do I bring that up today? Because no matter what you're going through, have hope, have joy, because Sunday's coming. 
Sunday's coming. I know some of us are confused. And we're going, man, what is going to happen next? This is not the way it was supposed to happen, but it's also not the end of the story. You know that? Friday didn't make any sense until Sunday. Saturday was real dark. And some of you guys are sitting in Saturday right now. And you're going, what the heck are you doing, God? What they didn't realize is not only was the cross not the end of the story, the cross was the doorway to the best part of the story. Some of us are going through confusing times right now with some pain right now. You're going, what the heck? I wish this would just go away. I'm telling you, this needs to happen for God to do something amazing. And just because it doesn't make sense now doesn't mean it won't make sense later. So no matter what you go through, know that God is forever with you, that God is forever for you. The cross settles that. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will do what he says he will do. The question is, are you? God is faithful. He is. Are you? Are you? Will you trust him? Will you follow him faithfully? Will you do what you said you will do? So we're going to end today uh, with communion. Last Sunday of every month, we take communion together as a family. It's not saying you can, can't take communion other time. You can take communion every three hours if you want, right? But for, as a church family, we take communion once a month. And I thought it was so appropriate that we're doing it today as we remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. And remember, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Because he, knows, he knew that we'd forget the importance of moments like this. If you ever feel like, man, does God love me? Am I spare parts? Does God even know? Sometimes when we go through confusing times, we think, man, does God even see what's going on in my life? Does anybody even notice the hell I'm going through right now? God sees and he knows and he understands. Let the cross remind you that God understands pain. He understands confusion. He understands going through stuff that other people created for you that you are innocent of. God knows what it's like. He can bear pain with us. And so when we take communion today, remember, remember that. And that God is with you and says, I'm never going to leave. I'm here with you all the time. We're going to get through this together. Right? You've heard it's an old adage, but sometimes God calms a storm and sometimes he sits with us in the middle of it. And so let me pray for us uh, and remind us that we can trust God. All right? God, we just, oh, God, we, we love you. Uh, I pray for my friends who are going through confusing times or times where they're just, hope is starting to drain out of their soul. God, I pray, would you, uh, would you put peace back in would you put hope again? Some of my friends in the room, they've, they've lost the desire to dream again. God, I pray, would you fill them with fresh hope, fresh vision that, the, that tomorrow will be better than today? Would you give them fresh mission? Some of them have forgotten why they're here on this planet. They're not here to just exist, but they're here to create a difference. God, I pray, would you remind them of that? God, I pray that you would surround each hurting person with people that would encourage them and journey with them. And God, for us as a church, would you help us? Would you highlight people in our lives, our, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our teammates, 
Would you highlight people in our lives that need your encouragement, that we can be, that we can be symbols of hope, be a voice of hope wherever we go representing you. Would people see you more clearly because we interacted with them this week? We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.